0: Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knutson, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now, here's your host, Scott Knutson.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutsen. Whether you're joining us, watching the show today, or just listening to it, we appreciate you. Today, we have a very special guest. I've known this man through social media. I've admired his work, and I'm so glad he's on the show today. And I can't wait to introduce him to the uh, Cowboy Entrepreneur audience. Brent Colic is on the show, and and Brent is a photojournalist. He's he's an author, and uh, I'm just so glad you're on. So everybody, please meet Brent. Brent, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Nice to meet you finally, face yeah, to face. absolutely, absolutely. So so let's talk about it. So where were you? You want to talk about where you are today, and where you work from?
2: Yeah, I'm actually on the west coast of Mexico. I'm about. <clears throat> About forty minutes north of Puerto Vallarta in the state of Nayarit, and I've been here full time for about f- since COVID started. I I I've been here full time, but prior wow. to that, I was I was off and on for three or four years helping my mother out after my father passed.
1: I see, I see. So cool, man! It's so cool you're down there, and and uh, so where were you born here in the states?
2: Yeah, I was actually born in Houston. And I grew up mostly in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So you're a Texas guy. Oh yes, born and oh. born and raised. <laughs> I love it. I love at, it. At, at, at my age, it gets a little more difficult to find them, right?
1: <laughs> I'm telling. <laughs> oh man. So so what put you in Mexico? Was it COVID or your family or you just like the spot? Well,
2: Yeah, my mother and father have been traveling to Mexico since the 50s, and. They retired here about 25 years ago. And my father passed, I guess, about eight years ago. And after he died, I was spending more time with my mother, helping her with some of the stuff around here. Mm -hmm. And I started working. I was kind of burnt out doing what I was doing in Texas. Just it was nice to have a change of pace. And I started spending a lot more time. And as it came to when COVID happened, my mother had had an accident where she had broken her neck. So she was not completely, but mostly, you know, combined confined to a wheelchair. So I just thought it would be better for me to be here with the uncertainty of travel. And that's right. when I really kind of dove into a lot of the projects that I've been working on since. Right. Well, I'm sorry that's what it took you to get
1: there full time, but I'm sure I'm happier there. I bet it's a lot of fun. And Oh, it is. Yeah. So so let's talk. Man, I've admired your work and, and there's so many great pictures of horses and vaqueros and, and whatnot. Did you grow up up around
2: horses and that maybe the Western culture? Uh I mean, growing up in Texas in the six in the 70s, essentially, you know, there was always rodeo. Right. And I'm not gonna say I was a huge participant, but I always enjoyed it. And we used to spend summers in Mexico when I was a kid, and we would always spend not always but a lot of times we'd spend summers outside of guadalajara and guadalajara is sort of the center of the charro culture in mexico so there were always horses there were always charros there was always something going on and i was kind of exposed to it through that and i always thought it was quite interesting uh we used to ride horses all the time but but as far as growing up on a ranch or anything no i, I was kind of a city boy uh so, so going to school,
1: like being a photographer, and did you study photography or writing? Is that kind of
2: what you always wanted to do? No, you know, I was kind of, I don't want to say I was lost, but I didn't know what I wanted to do when I first went to university. And I started actually studying science as if to be to be a doctor and quickly realized that probably wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I actually took an art class and an art history class at a at a community college and just I just everything felt right. And I started painting and and uh, that's actually what my primary focus was in, in art school was painting. And I also was fortunate to study photography under a great teacher, uh, Charles Debus, and he was a, a huge influence on, on the way I approached not just photography, but art generally. I got lucky. I mean, I, I fell into a really good program with great mentors.
1: Man, that's so cool. And that's one thing I love about the industry. And I talked to so many, you know, young people that want to get in the industry, but they don't know how. And I think photography and make, you know, saddle crafting and, and boot making, there's so many ways to get into the industry around the horses. But um, and th- that's why I appreciate you so much. But taking pictures of horses and cowboys and that, that's a hard deal. And I think it's so underestimated the craft that goes into uh, photography with horses?
2: Well, I think complicating it a little bit, or maybe it made it easier for me, was coming to Mexico and seeing the charros. Hmm. I'd photographed rodeos in the U.S. I mean, whether it was the Fort Worth Stock Show. or I did a couple of ranch rodeos at a ranch up on the Texas-Oklahoma border just for Texas Monthly or whatever publication that, you know, had hired me. But when I came here and I saw my first chariota, it was a whole different world, and it was just – it just kind of blew me away, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting because it was so different,
0: and right. it was
2: visually so different, and I just kind of fell into it immediately, and it's yeah. – I've been shooting it pretty consistently for about five years. Wow.
1: Wow. I, I love it, and I have a dear friend. is Jerry Diaz, and he's a choro. Oh, and, sure. Yeah, and he – I just – love to hear them speak like Jerry and his family. They speak with such passion and, sure. and reverence about it, you know, kind of like we, I guess we do as Texas Cowboys too, but it just, it just hits different.
2: <laughs> no, I, I don't know Jerry, but I know of Jerry and everyone I know who knows him says he's a great guy and a great yeah. ambassador. Yeah. And he, uh, I've seen videos of him and I, yeah, I like, I like what he does. He's bringing a new audience. He is sort of the, the, the pageantry of, of Chatteria. Yeah, and
1: you know his his son and his wife are you know they they're doing the same thing and
2: I think I love sure. the
1: traditional part and I love how you capture that. How do you choose what you're going to shoot, or you just kind of let it go wherever the, the kind the lens takes you?
2: Well, I think as as you as you learn, as you go to more events and you see how the events unfold, you begin to kind of pick and choose what what the different events will give you in mm. the, you know, in the overall picture of the Chattoria, of the chariota. Uh, You know, and I've always shot it in black and white just because it felt right. But it's interesting because the, the women have a, a sport within Chattoria called escaramuza, And they wear these very colorful costumes, which I, I always shoot in color just because it sort of demands it, you know? Right. But the, the Charles themselves I've always photographed black and white, and I've always felt there was a kind of timelessness to them, like it could have been a hundred years ago or it could have been you know five days ago and And I like that because they've tried to protect that sort of integrity of the sport, if you will, and it's mm-hmm. not become a big you know advertising world and and not that they're not associated, but they they try and keep the actual performers very pure, yeah, and it's it's, it's really great, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so authentic, the way you shoot sure. it. It just looks oh, like well, you're there, you. but you don't know what time period. And and uh, it's really sure. beautiful. So w- while I'm talking about it, w- what's your social media so people can follow you or your website? Because I think as they're hearing this, they're going to want to look you up.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, I'm on Instagram, and it's, it's at Brent Collick, B-R-E-N-T-K-O-L-L-O-C-K. And if you do a search on Facebook, I'm the only one with that name on Facebook. And then it's brentcollick.com is my website. Yeah, it's
1: awesome. The pictures are just so great. It's like you're there. Do you remember (laughs) what it was like getting the call? Or was it just something you wanted to do is drive to your first one and just do it?
2: Or were you invited? Well, I was kind of looking for something to do because I wasn't shooting anything here other than I was working on a couple of books of writing, but no photography. And someone had told me about an event one night called Caballo Bayal, which is horse dancing. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting, right? How can you, how can you go wrong? I don't know. So okay. I went to it and was completely blown away by what it was. It was amazing. And I talked to a few people and they said, oh, you really should go to a chariot, which is the rodeo. You know, you're from Texas. So just out of luck, there was one at the same venue a couple of weeks later. And I went to it and was just immediately hooked. Like, wow, where has this been my whole life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So what what is it like, you know, like a, a typical
1: night in Mexico for you? Do you get to go to, uh, you know, one of those, to a rodeo, to a horse dancing opportunity, uh, competition? Or what, what's
2: it like? Like take the viewer into a normal night or a day. I mean, I'm lucky in a sense because I live on the border between two states that are incredibly active in terms of having, you know, chariadas, the competitions. And in the summertime, it's kind of slow because it's the rainy season and it rains almost every day. But in the wintertime, I would say every weekend or every other weekend, there's an event within 40 miles of my house. Wow. And this could be from... If you think of the levels of competition, it would be kind of like minor league baseball. You have single A, double A, Triple A, and single A would be the local amateur teams and Triple A would be the, the pros who are very highly paid, amazing, you mm-hmm. know, cowboys. And I've photographed everything from, you know, the kids, you know, children doing jetty out all the way up to the, you know, I've gotten to know some of the big I'm the, the current national champion is someone I've gotten to know the the eight times national champion as another man I've gotten to know. And they're all just the most generous, welcoming, nice people you can imagine. So I've been lucky, you know, I mean, like I said, every, if, if it's not every weekend, it's every other weekend. There's something to do.
1: Man, that's so incredible. It's so incredible. And I, I think you make your luck
2: though. I think they know they
1: that they can um, accept you and the culture and that you're going to show them in such a great way what they do. Um, what about the horses? Do you do you get to spend time with them? Like, as far as seeing them in the stalls
2: or along the trailer, or do you kind of leave that as a surprise? Oh no, no, they they pretty much tell you. And this was one of the things that blew me away about shooting in Mexico versus shooting in the U.S. <clears throat> was in the U.S. Like, for instance, you go to the Fort Worth Stock Show, which is a great show, mm-hmm. and they tell you you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And you're kind of given a handler who helps you. And that's nice if you've, you've never done it before. I mean, I remember it well. And it was always nice to have a guy who was there. Hey, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? But here you walk in and you tell them what you're doing and they just say, yeah, fine. Do whatever you want to do. They don't. They let you go wherever you want. And I mean, literally wherever you want to go. Wow. And I have a funny story about that, actually. I have a good friend who's a photographer from the U.S. who was here. And he's kind of a landscape nature bird photographer from Minnesota. But he grew up on a horse ranch in Minnesota. And he was passing through and he said, hey, I really want to go to a chariotto with you. And I said, yeah, yeah, let's go. So we go to one that was, I don't know, 20 minutes from my house. And we're watching the sort of pageantry as they come into the arena. And then they finished what they were doing. And I said, do you want to go get down on the floor to get closer? And he goes, you mean like inside? I said, yeah, absolutely. He goes, they'll let you do that? I said, yeah, as, as, long, as long as you don't get in the way, they don't care. <laughs> and he was, I mean, he was two feet away from the from the cowboys. And he just looks at me like, I cannot believe we get to do this. So cool. Yeah, yeah it was great. It was great fun. But as far as the horses I mean, the thing that we have to remember about charros is a charro is first and foremost a horseman. That's their that's their pride is being a horseman. So the horses are treated like royalty. And they've got all, you know, I know I'm i not so familiar. I know they've got American quarter horses. I think they have another one called an Aztec.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And then occasionally you'll see some bigger ones, which I guess has got some Frisian in them.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: And they're, they're all, sometimes you'll see them decked out with all the silver conchos and all the handmade saddles. And it's, it's amazing. And these horses are amazingly well-trained. It's an art form for yeah, sure. Form.
1: You know, they take Show so it. much time and polish on it. It's just, um, even the saddles down to the tooling in the saddles
2: is just yeah, so I love important. It. Yeah. I always feel a little strange when I'm doing close-up because I don't shoot long lenses. I, I just don't particularly like the way it makes the picture look. I'll get really close to a to a charro and to shoot his 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 pants. Basically, they're cha- the chaparreros and his boots and his spurs and the saddle. And I mean, I'm like right on top of him, and he kind of looks at me like, "What are you doing, man?" <laughs> but yeah, they've they've never given me anything but but welcoming handshakes and you know, hey, you want a beer? You want any tequila? You want anything to eat? And it's it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to go and experience. And I, I've enjoyed every every single minute of it. It's been fantastic.
1: Wow. Just part of the family. Part of the family. For sure. For, for sure. Yeah.
2: I, I love that. Yeah. And w- w- when
1: we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back with, with Brent, we'll talk a little bit about the terms and terminology, you know, comparing American cowboy and what's it called over in Mexico and, and maybe some of the pageantry and maybe some of the people that he follows. So we'll be right back on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show.
0: Thank you for listening to The Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, The Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of The Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand. The very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutson. Thank you so much for watching our show and we have a special guest, Brett colic is on, and Brett is talking about living in Mexico and filming vaqueros and and uh, uh, charros, and it's just such a cool conversation. But his photography work is so great; you'll see it throughout the show. And please go to his social media and, and follow him. And uh, so, Brett, let's talk kind of compare an American cowboy to a vaquero, and uh, you know, a cowgirl. What's it called
2: over there? Well, I, th- I think that the cowboy. And the vaquero are very, very close. The vaquero tends to be no, more of a northern Mexican phenomenon. Okay. And if you go to a if you go to a vaquero rodeo, it's going to be almost what you would get in Texas. What's different is when you go to what's called cha, a chariata, and the chariata is the art form of the char. And those are the ones who wear the big sombreros. They wear, you know, the the leather the leather pants. They're not really chaps, but they're Essentially, they're the or the original chaps. And what I found interesting about Charteria was that these are the original cowboys of the Americas, that most of them came from southern Spain around Zaragoza and ended up sort of between Mexico City and Guadalajara up in the highlands. And it's a really, there's a very parallel history between the Charo and Mexico itself and how it was dominated by europeans and then the sort of the creoles the Criollos came in and then the indians were given you know eventually the same rights but it's a very interesting parallel in history uh as far as the rodeos being different the vaquero rodeo is like i said more like if you went to the fort worth stock show or the you know another big rodeo in north america where it's individual events now you have to take team roping and stuff like that but Generally speaking, it's an individual event. Chararia, the charreada, is a team. And typically it's six to eight charos. And each one has a specialty. And then they work together in a certain events as a team, like roping the bull. But you've got bull riding. They, they actually break mares, they don't break broncos. They're called yeguas, they're mares. <clears throat> and then you've got manganas, which is the trick roping and then roping the horse to bring him down. And you have know, Paso de Muerte, which is which is the crazy one, where they they release a, a mare out of one of the chutes pressed up against the wall by a charo on a on a horse with no saddle, but a, but a bridle and reins, and then he has to go at full gallop from one horse to the to the to the wild mare, which has no no bridle, no reins, no saddle, and then he has to ride it all the way around the arena one time to get full points. And it's full speed, and his teammates are there, you know, spurring on the other horse. And it gets pretty crazy. Um, yeah, that, I, I've seen that, parts and pieces of it, it really that. Is that a team sport. And so, wow. You'll see that the, at the end of the day, it will be like, you know, Rancho, Rancho Laguna beat the Charos of, you know, Guadalajara. So it's almost like a baseball school, you know, 320 to 295 or something. Very cool. So it's it's very different in that manner. But a lot of the skills you can see came from, you know, working on the ranch, just as it did in the U.S. And whether it's roping or riding or, you know, bringing down a, a smaller bull to brand, they're all very sort of obviously come from a place in the ranch life. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're different, but you, you'd recognize their utility. Right. I, I love that.
1: I, I love, you know, it is different too. Like with our kind of ropes, you know, when we go out and rope, there are certain length or certain weight, but their ropes are so heavy and so long. It's all sure. about the momentum of, of, of when you're starting to twirl it to get the length sure. on
2: it. Yeah, the the they're called the the ropes that are made from natural fiber. They're made from the same cactus that they make tequila or mezcal out of, and they're called soga. And the sogas are they're definitely heavy, but they're beautiful. I mean, they're all made by hand, and depending on how hot or cold it is, is how pliable it is. And, you know, you'll see them massaging them, and then they smell beautiful. It's really an amazing thing when you get close to them. Yeah
1: it's so cool.
2: All-
1: I, I think it, doesn't the humidity it doesn't hurt it or something? don't they keep them in bags to keep the keep them fresh
2: for sure yeah yeah they they keep them in plastic bags inside of the sort of cylindrical leather bag, and they'll they'll take two or three of them out and decide which one's best for the day, and they're not inexpensive i've <laughs> yeah. I actually went and met one of the he was supposed to be the greatest living soga maker. And he made everything by hand and he did it until several weeks before he died and he was in his eighties doing it. And people would pay five or six hundred dollars, you know, for a fifteen meter soga that he made. And they were spectacularly beautiful things.
1: Wow, collector's pieces. You know, yeah, tool. Exactly. So yeah. So so when you travel in Mexico and you meet these guys and, and ladies, because ladies they're a huge part of it as well. Do you sure. do you, do you see like do you get to go meet the saddle makers and the horse trainers and the back
2: end of the the event? Yeah, I I do the 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 people who make the I guess you'd say tack the saddles and the, mm-hmm. you know the different things they tend to be at the events selling their wares and fixing things. I'm sure it's the same here right. or in the U.S. Sure. So you, you kind of get to know them and, you know, you're very friendly with them. And they're all just, again, the nicest people. The The trainers are interesting because the two best horse trainers for the most demanding part of the sport, which is called Cala de Cavalla, which is sort of the, like, it would be the, kind of the equivalent of cutting. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they'll run down a shoot and then the horse will kind of rear back and they'll slide on their back hooves very cool and the, the the two best trainers are also the two best charos in that sport and they're just they're they're complete characters you know their families have been doing it for centuries and their their names are like alejandro goni roja and Cucoraya, raya and they're they're just they have this kind of air about them you know they're very royal and they're really really amazing horsemen but they do all their training and everything they're they're sort of, you know, one-stop shops. And the the women, I have not covered as much because it's almost like a separate world in terms of what the escaramuza do, which is more of a kind of, it's a, it's a kind of a precision, almost like trick riding, but they're done in a group of eight riders. Mm. I think it's eight, where they're weaving in and out and they have certain patterns they have to fulfill. Um, They're amazing riders, and they ride side saddle, which is really crazy. Incredible, yeah. And their costumes are phenomenal, and I've gotten to know some of them, and they're just, again, it's a very, very family-centric, you know, if your mother did it, you're going to do it. And it's it's handed down from generation to generation, really.
1: Man, I love that. So when they're going to have a big competition, there's two famous teams with one of the riders you just talked about, does the town just kind of shut down to go watch?
2: Well, the two, the, the the sort of the two top teams right now would be like there's one called Tres Podtrios, which is Vicente Fernandez, who was the great American, a uh, Mexican charo ranchero singer. That's his team, and he's passed away, but he's his family basically funds that team, and they're the defending national champions. And the defending all around champion is on that team, was a guy named Kike Jimenez. And Kike's a great guy, and he's a really, really good cowboy. And their big rival right now is a team called RG2. And it's, it's the, the guy that I mentioned who was the eight times national champion all around. Mm-hmm. His name is Andres Chiringas Aceves. And he's, he's unbelievable. And he and his father started this team. His father's a two times national champion. You know, the big arena in Guadalajara is named after him. I mean oh, wow. again, it's it's a family deal. In fact, his father, his name is Nito Asteves, and Nito has actually contributed some writing to this to my book. So that was a big honor to to get to meet him. And I'm all again, I'm kind of blown away at the access that a a mutual friend had said, do you want to meet him? And I said, yeah, I'd love for him to write something in my book. And he said, well, let me call him. And a week later I was at the big championship, you know, an hour from my house and he rides up on his horse and we talk for an hour and he's the nicest guy in the world. And I'm like, imagine, you know, it's like, wow, I didn't expect that. (laughs) (laughs) How wonderful is that? Yeah. There's definitely rivalries. I mean, you know, the, the state, it tends to be very state-centric, you know, like Jalisco versus San Luis Potosí versus Nayarit versus, you know, Zacatecas. I mean, there's different areas where there's, you know, very intense competitions. Wow. Wow. Do you
1: see some of, the, like, the, the <laughs> champions, do you see them talk about their their um, generations past? Like, why they got into the sport?
2: Oh, for sure. Absolutely one of the one of the aspects of, of my new book is i asked it, it would be very hard for me to contextualize the importance of the sport in mexico i mean it's it's not only it is the national sport of mexico which a lot of people don't know didn't know but it was also designated by unesco as a part of mexico's national patrimony so it's protected and if you talk to a mexican they can't imagine mexico without charrería so I thought, you know, God, there's no way I could really contextualize this in the proper way. So I was talking with a friend of mine who's a bull rider in Chatería, And he just was going on about how much it means to him and how important it is. And I just said, I said, Mike, do you want to write something in my book about this? And he's like, Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> so I started asking all a lot of the different charos I know, and everybody from, like I said, Nito Aceves to a couple of sort of top-tiered professionals down to the local amateur guys, a, f- a few women, a few escaramuzas. And one of the great stories is there's a woman who started following my work two or three years ago, and she sent me a very nice message. And she said, if you ever need any help with chataria, let me know. My family's very involved. I'd never met this person. And she just opened the door and I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. That's very nice. and So when I started thinking of people for the book, I thought, well, maybe she could help me. So I sent her a message, and she said, oh, I'd be happy to write something for you. Well, I asked a friend of mine who's involved in Chattaria if he knew her, and her name is Ana Bessaril. He goes, she's a Besseril And I said, yeah. And she's like, they have land grants from the king of Spain. That's how long they've been in Mexico. And they've been in Chatteria from the very first day they got. Here. Wow. They were, you know, they were they were ranchers, and they're still here, and they're still involved, and they're the That's, nicest that people. Is so world. cool!
1: I, I yeah, love yeah. history, and I think that is just so cool. You know, well, I think it's neat movie. what you just said, though, is how they're letting you in their world, but you're doing the same. You're letting them be in a in a book, and letting them in your world.
2: Yeah. I I think so. And I mean, I think they see the kind of mutual benefit, I hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly I'm getting a lot from it, but I, I think that they recognize that the way a sport flourishes, as I'm sure you well know, is just you grow the audience. Right. And for them, you know, with me being an American, but living here and having maybe a slightly different understanding of it, they were all for it. They're all like, oh, absolutely. You know, whatever you need, you tell me. And sometimes you kind of take that as lip service, but then you actually ask them, could you do this for me? And they're like, for sure. What do you want? And you're like, wow, wow. Okay, great. That's (laughs) awesome. It's nice.
1: Wow. So cool. So what what is your favorite or have you found it yet when you're covering an event? Do you like up high where you're shooting down or do you like being right in the arena as close as you can for the action?
2: Oh, I'm I'm a close. I like to get close. Yeah. Yeah. Just I don't know if it's. I think it's it's a combination of a lot of things, but. I like to have the the ability to show the face, because I think whenever you see sports figures, whether they're football players or they kind of lose a certain humanity. But when you can see their face and you see these young and a lot of them, these are really young guys. And you see the, you know, how amazing they are, what they do. They're, you know, I I love being close to them. And like I said, I don't shoot a lot of long lenses. Right. I don't think I own anything over a hundred millimeters. Just, it's not my thing. And I've been close enough that, you know, I've had ropes break and come back and hit me. I've had, you know, bull slobber thrown on me. And hey, just part of the deal, you know. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Do you
1: feel the (laughs) adrenaline rush of being so close or do you have your own adrenaline rush?
2: Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. I I, I feel it. I feel it in them. And then I also there's an event called Collidero where basically a charo kind of corrals a bull coming out of a chute up against a wall. And then he has to reach down. He's on a horse. He has to reach down and touch the bull's back. Then he has to grab the bull's tail, and the whole time the bull's running forward while his horse is keeping him pinned against the wall, and then they both take off, and when he grabs the tail, he wraps his leg around it. And then the horse accelerates, and he spins the bull down. And they would obviously do that so someone can come in and tie him off and and brand him or, or whatever they were doing to him. But sometimes those bulls will get away, and you're down there five feet away from the action, and this big old bull starts running at you yeah, it gets your blood going for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a
1: whole new appreciation.
2: Fortunately, never went with a bad incident, but i have seen a few people get, I've seen a few people get knocked over yeah
1: Incredible. Well, I can't believe time's going so fast. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh I just want to hear a few more stories and I definitely want to go over your social media again so people can follow you and definitely want to talk about your other books and how they can uh start get get those books. So we'll be right back on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hi, welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutson, here with Brent. Colleague Ed and Brent, we were talking about being in Mexico and the the, the similarities and the differences of, of the Western sports. And uh, would you mind just telling one more story? Like, you know, we were just talking kind of off air. You know, you're so close to the bulls and the horses when you're down in there in the arena. What was it like? Do you remember like a, a, a time when you were really close?
2: Yeah, I think one of the first times I got really a good taste of you got to be careful. I mean, aside from the obvious, <laughs> there, there, there's there's an event called Piales. And basically, they let a mare run free. Down, if, if you imagine the, 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 the arena where they compete is round, it's a circle, but there's a long hallway that's about 60 meters that leads into it that's maybe 20 meters wide. Well, they'll they'll let a mare loose at one end, and then there's a guy on a horse. I think he's at thirty meters. So the the horse is full gallop. He has to rope his back legs while he's ten meters off that wall where the mare's running. And then he, you may have seen this. He takes the rope after he ropes the, the behind legs of the of the mare, and wraps it around the the pommel or you know the horn of the saddle, and uses it as a brake. And it starts smoking and you know you know, flames start coming off of the, you know, it's, it's, it's very dramatic, but I was, maybe I was 10 feet away from one of the, the ropers and the rope snapped and it went right in front of my face and I could hear it whizzing past me. Oh my goodness. And and that's, you know, these, these are big animals. These mares are, they're good size. And I just thought, Oh yeah. Okay. I guess I do have to be pretty careful down here. Oh
1: man, yeah. There's a lot of when when that happens and there's smoke and that rope. There's so much velocity, so For sure. uh,
2: yeah, it comes back in a hurry. And I've I've actually made. I've been really lucky. I've made a couple of pictures where the rope came back, and one of them hit the charros, you know sombrero, and it lifted it up. And there's like dust coming off of the sombrero, and it's it's like wow, I couldn't get that lucky again.
1: Oh my goodness! What a cool picture. So, how can people find your books? And let's talk a little bit more about what you've written already. Um, Sure. Do you Um, kind of stay in this field, or?
2: Well, I you know the first thing I wrote and sold I was crazy, and I sold it to a major publisher, but it never got published because the person who bought it, who championed it, it was a not an easily classifiable. It was a book of short stories, and. The person who championed it never, they left the company and it just never got published. So I ended up getting the rights back as part of my contract, which was great. Mm -hmm. Um, I went on to self-publish a book of of photographs and poetry about sort of traveling around up in the mountains in these old towns in Mexico here. And it was when I first started spending a lot of time here and I had left behind a few things in the U S including a relationship. And it was sort of, pondering whether that was the right thing to do or not um that one you can buy out you i think you can still get it on amazon i believe and i'm sure you can um when i got here and i started i i kind of came here and i had this notion of i really want to publish my my foot to my photography i don't want to work for anybody you know i want to do my own thing my father was always an entrepreneur i've always respected that mindset so i Published a couple of what they I would call them magazines, but they're probably a little it's between a magazine and a book. It's higher quality, but not quite to the level of a book. And the first one I did had a big story about Chatteria. And it was really well received. And I, I don't I think there's still some left. Again, this is stuff you can find on the website. And then I did a second one that the main story was about a place called Uncertain Texas. I'm sure you've, you've heard of Uncertain Texas, right? Yes. yes. Out on Cato Lake. So I did a whole photo essay about Uncertain Texas. And those are, you can, I still sell those on my website. And th- I'm working on a large book of poetry and photographs. Awesome. Which was excerpted in an online, an online literary journal. And I'm, I've had some interest, but, it's again. It's a poetry is a very difficult sell, especially when you mix it with another media. So, what happens to it? I don't know. But it's, I mean, telling stories is kind of what I've always loved to do, whether it was with a picture or words or or whatever. So, I've been kind of lucky that I've had the freedom to pursue a lot of that being here, and uh, yeah, it's it's been great. And then my new book, which is, I guess, how we we kind of came to know each other. Sure, is about Chararia. It's called Chararia, Mexico's national treasure, and it's it's probably between eighty and a hundred pictures and some writing from a from some of the different charros and escaramuzos. And hopefully, it all kind of creates a, an exciting, and I think I think it's certainly a visually exciting picture with maybe yeah. some a little more understanding about what it actually is.
1: Yeah, the pictures are just incredible. I mean, I just no, love looking at them. For sure. And and so how would what would you like words of advice for somebody that is wanting to make a living or and or, or at least do their passion project, work it with photography and stories and maybe from their angle? What, what kind
2: of advice could you give somebody? Well, I think we're fortunate that we live in a time now where printing has become very easy to do, whether it's, you know, 100 mm-hmm. copies or 10,000 copies. And learning the learning the skills to lay out a book, at least technically artistically, that's a very you know subjective side, but you know learning to use the programs is fairly easy to do. Digital printing has become incredibly affordable, and mm-hmm. yeah, I would say my I've been asked this a few times. I say, find projects that interest you. And then figure out why they interest you and then find something that interests you that you want to do and kind of meet the same criteria. And, you know, they say there's no, you know, there's no growth without copying. I mean, you have to have some basis of. I'm not encouraging it, but I'm saying it's inevitable that you'll find like, you know, you like a certain photographer, or you like a certain painter or whatever. You're going to emulate them to a point. But at a certain point, you do become your own thing. So, right. yeah, I encourage people to go out and do it because you never know who the audience is. I'm always amazed at the people that end up becoming fans or collectors or, or whatever you want to say. Fans is not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Right, right. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's like you. I mean, you know, we have we have a mutual connection that's fairly remote between us. But, man, you know, I mean, I I... I, I admire what you're doing and I, I'm thrilled to have met you and, yeah, you know, Hey, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, you never know where those places come. And I'd say that the, the biggest limitations in the past have been technical and those are all no longer the biggest limitations in, in publishing. See, I'm so glad you said that
1: because, you know, we work with different photographers and a lot of them are younger because I, I love the energy. You know, and and they've never shot horses before and whatnot. And I'm just like, take pictures until you find one you like, you know, and they're like, I want to do this more. How do I get started? So that's great to hear, you know, because I I don't know. I just know you fashion your follow your passion and keep going until you're able to make your first dollar. And then that's it.
2: Well, and I think it's in terms of being a contract photographer, that world's changed so much because of social media. Mm. And because everybody's got a camera with them all the time and their phone. And the standard of photojournalism has just changed. It's not better or worse, it's just different. And right. one of the, you know, you don't find many what I would call contract photographers. And, and the last great one that I know of is a guy named uh, James Noctua. And Noctua was kind of the great war photographer after Vietnam. Mm. And he's, He's the. I think he's the only staff photographer still working at Time Magazine, and that's. This is just in in one generation. That whole thing is just completely changed. It's a freelance world, and you know you can work as a. You know I, I've done it, and I have no problem with it. But you, whether you're a stringer or a freelancer, and you work for Reuters or AP or Getty or whoever, it's it's what you have mm-hmm. to do. And, right, and th- and that's been a great challenge. But I I, I like a challenge and. I think one of my strengths has always been telling stories and being a salesman. So maybe it's a match made in heaven. I don't know.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I I love the fact that, you know, we work with some freelance photographers and they shoot us one day or a horse or whatever they're shooting. And then the next day it might be something completely different. But with you, you've had the opportunity you know, for several years now to work with the Vaqueros. Do you think that helps because you really get to know what shot's coming up? You know, and it kind of helps you get mentally ready for it.
2: I think it helps on that level for sure, but also, I think just being present and when the moments happen. Mm. You know, if you go, if you go to one chariata, and chariatas typically last two, three, four days, and there may be twelve, fourteen teams. So if you know, if you go, let's just say a, a, an average local event is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you'll have, maybe there's, let's see, two, wow. maybe there's 12 teams. And there's four chariotas, including the final. That's four different rodeos in that one weekend. It's all kind of compressed together. And being there, you know, you may get the perfect shot, but you may not. So the more often you do it, I think the better, you're, obviously the better your odds are. But right. you're right, learning the, the, the sort of meter and pattern of, the events and where it happens and why it happens and what's the most opportune time and place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something that certainly comes with time. I hope. Yeah. Right. Well, how, how did you pick the
1: cameras you like the lenses? You say you don't have one a certain length, you know, for somebody that's watching, how do you, how do they know where to start without just buying all of
2: it? <laughs> Sure. Well, for me, it was always a budgetary concern because I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I was in art school, when I was in art school and, and cameras were cheap, I started shooting, you know, film because that's all we had was film. And so I accumulated a few lenses and I didn't shoot a lot. But, you know, I had like my first digital cameras were what they would call sort of a prosumer level. Mm-hmm. Um you know, something a professional would use, but a consumer would use kind of in between. But I'll tell you what, again, we live in a golden age now of technology where you can go out and spend $500, $600, and you can get a system that is so good that you can, you can create images that are technically as good as you need to be. Wow. You know, you go buy a, you know, a Sony a seven and a 24 to 70 zoom and, you're done, that's all you need, and and then crazy. just take the time to learn, learn how to use it. I mean that to me is the big thing is know how to use your tools right and i mean i you know, I learned how to shoot like i said thirty five millimeter four by five, and you know when i when I switched over to digital, I actually went with Sony cameras because I didn't have to buy new lenses. I could adapt to all my old lenses. I see, and I was like, well, that's great. I don't have to buy you know another. $2,000 worth of glass, I'll just use my old glass. And it's kind of funny when I show up to events where there's a lot of professional photographers, they look at me because I still use manual focus lenses. And they're like, you know, who are you? I'm like, hey, this is just what I know how to do. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but I I think,
1: you know, for me as a novice, I think doing that manual, you zoom in until the
2: point where you think it's the best shot. Don't you think you have more control that way? I do. I mean, and I typically own, I only own fixed, fixed focal lengths. I don't, I don't own a zoom. I mean, I've got, basically when I go to, or when I go to a rodeo, I take a 24, a 50 and a one Oh five. That's it. And my, you know, if I want to get closer, I walk closer. If I want to get further away, I walk further away. I mean, I know that's kind of a cliche, but it's true. And, uh, it's just the way I work. I mean, everybody's got their idiosyncrasies, I guess. Yeah. Right. I love how you simplify
1: it, but when you look at the pictures and Steve, the our producer, he's so great at this. He'll put some of your pictures up. He'll put the link so people can follow you. But when you look at the pictures, they're so complex. Like you see everything, and it's like you you put people in there, even though you you seem to be doing it in such a simple way. I think that's true, artists, don't you?
2: I think it's I think it's something. I kind of look at art two ways because. Again, I, I studied painting and I, I showed my work for many years. And my, my paintings are, I don't want to say collected, but they're, you know, they're in private collections all over the world. But I think you see the world a certain way. That's your sort of innate vision or your innate ability. But you also can learn to improve that. And I mm-hmm. think that's where photography is slightly different because you learn to see differently. Because it's almost like you have to see a bigger picture, but within that bigger picture, you have to find the details. I think that's kind of where you're going. And yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's something that comes with time. I, I think. I mean, I've been shooting, certainly seriously, for you know twenty, twenty something years. Wow. And have I gotten any better? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ask my myself crossed, that every I day. Hope- <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying. All, 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 we, all, all we can do is go out and keep trying, right?
1: That's it, man. That's it. So what are you going to be shooting this weekend? Do you have something on the agenda?
2: I do, actually. I, I think I think I sent you a few, or maybe you would commented on a few. There's an event I've started shooting. I'm pondering doing a little book about it called Haripeo. And Haripeo is basically, it's a, it's a concert with a dance, and then there's like a dinner, and there's, you know, food and drink. And then, in the middle of this whole event, is a bull is a bull riding event. I love it. And it's the one where they it's the one where they don't use their hands. You'll I, see I, them, and they'll have their hands in the air. And these guys are nuts. Yeah, and that's a good term. Again, again, it just as I've gotten a little closer to them, I've gotten to know the promoters. I've gotten to know the. You know, the people who put, and they're all like, yeah, yeah, come on in, whatever you want. You just do it. Let me know if you need anything. So that's Saturday night. So I'm always looking forward to that because those guys are crazy. And it's really visually exciting for sure. Oh, man.
1: I bet it's going to be fun to watch for sure. But I bet the food is incredible. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. There's never a shortage of good food here.
1: (laughs) Never. Oh, Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Brent, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate what you're doing too, just internationally sharing, you know, the culture, and I, I love it. I love the the family, the generational piece, and and your photography is so beautiful. And and uh, I know Steve's going to put all your links and everything in the show notes, and so everybody can follow Great. you. And everybody's going to be looking for that book. I know after after watching this, and thank you yeah, for yeah. what you well, do.
2: Hey, I, I count my blessings every day
1: yeah that's awesome man well thank you so much uh brent and thank you all for watching the
0: cowboy entrepreneur show thank you to all the great sponsors of the cowboy entrepreneur show if you or your business is interested in being a sponsor of the cowboy entrepreneur show please call our office at 830-992-1786 or visit our website cowboyentrepreneur.com